Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. What's up, Abundant Life? If you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be at this morning. And I am so glad that you made the decision to get here. We are finishing up and wrapping up an incredible weekend where we did this thing called Leadership Summit, where we continue to tease out leadership principles of what a spirit-led leader looks like, and it was awesome. So those of y'all that joined us over the weekend, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we just had an opportunity just to get fired up and get trained up to go do the work that God has called us to do. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to kind of tie a bow on some of that Leadership Summit weekend, if you will. As you're turning to Acts chapter 9, a little while ago I had the chance to go work some cattle with a member of our church. And, uh, and I, I've been able to work some cows from time to time, and so this is something I like to do and get my hands dirty and, and kind of get out and about, that sort of thing. And I asked him, I said, hey, can I bring somebody with me? Because I always like to ride with somebody, roll with somebody. And he said, sure, no problem. The more the merrier. And so I called a friend of mine who's not from here. He's actually from Asia. And I was like, hey, do you want to come work cows with me? And he's like, I don't know what that is, but yes, I'm in. You know? <laughs> so I pick him up, and, and he's not wearing the right stuff. And I'm like, you know what? We'll figure it out. And I'm kind of a guy that's a sink or swim kind of guy. I'm not a really good instructor when it comes to things like that. I'm like, yeah, you'll figure it out, you know, and, but I'm like, here's a couple things that you need to know. First of all, the cows are big and uh, you want to be careful because we're going to be up close and personal. And I said, you're going to need to understand how to use a full, uh, a couple of instruments, a few instruments. And so I told him that you're going to get one of these things. This is called a sort and stick. And, um, and then you kind of use this. It's got some organic matter on the end. It's authentic. Anyway, and so um, just grab this end. You know, I told him, grab the right end. And, and you kind of use this thing. And this is like the most, uh, or this is the least invasive of the uh, things that you use to kind of goad the cows into, the, into the, the chute so that you can doctor them and that sort of thing. And so I said, you just kind of tap them on their back and then you just direct them with the, the sort and stick. And I said, if the sort and stick doesn't work, then uh, you need to learn how to use the, the paddle, you know. And the paddle, you rattle a little bit. Hey, cow, hey, cow. And you kind of slap it and that sort of thing and and it kind of moves them but oftentimes the cows they'll they'll kick against this you know and it doesn't work and, and I said so if you have a really stubborn cow you get to use the hot shot <laughs> okay and the hot shot I basically just told him it's like a taser um, for cows and so um, anyway you squeeze this little button and uh, and it usually does the trick but oftentimes they'll kick against that and when you're working cows it's really like a matter of wills like who's going to win you know and here's the deal we're trying to lead these cattle into a place where they can get the medicine that they need to live a fulfilling life and make a great steak and so anyway like we just <laughs> I'm just kidding I'm just kidding that's not how it all happens we get it from somewhere else and so we're trying to lead them <laughs> sorry we're trying to lead them into this place where they can really live a fulfilling life and serve the purpose in which they were created to do. But sometimes like it, they just don't wanna go where you want them to go. And so I look up and my guy has grabbed a bull by the horns. Like he's like, he's abandoned the sword and stick. He's abandoned the paddle. He's abandoned the hot shot. He's like, I'm gonna take matter into my own hands. Here he is right here. It's a mighty bull, a mighty bull that he's grabbed there. <laughs> so. We had a good time. You can see he's wearing dress shoes out there, and uh, and uh, we made a lot of we made a lot of memories. Here's the point. Here's the reason why I share that with you this morning, is because God leads His people in a similar way. And what I mean by that is this: is that He goads or He guides our hearts into places where we can live fulfilling lives. 
And some of us, it, all it takes for God is just the sort and stick. You know, we're, we're, we're like, okay, God, I, I wanna do what you want me to do. And he just kind of taps us and leads us. For others of us, it takes the rattle of the paddle. He kind of gets our attention that way. But for some of you, if you're anything like me, you needed the hot shot from time to time. And there's a tendency in all of us to, to kick against the things or the leadership that God has in our life. And listen, if we try to fight and kick against the leadership of God and resist him, it's, it's gonna end in destruction in the end. That we need to listen and follow the leadership of Jesus Christ. We're continuing the series through the book of Acts where we're talking about spirit-led leaders and we're discovering principles of what it looks like to be a spirit-led leader. And we're asking everybody at Abundant Life, wherever you're at, wherever you're joining us, that you would be somebody that is so filled with the Holy Spirit that it's evident in the spheres of your leadership. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you're the CEO of a big organization, anywhere in between, you have people that God has entrusted to your care and we want you to be filled with the Spirit of God so that you can go lead in the way of God. And this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to introduce to you another spirit-led leadership principle. And here's what it is. Spirit-led leaders, they submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want you to ask God three questions this morning. I want you to ask God question number one, who are you? Question number two, what do you want me to do? And when do you want me to do it? We've been walking through the book of Acts up until this point, and what's happened in the, in the book of Acts is that the churches began and then persecution has broke out in the book of Acts. And so you kind of have this dispersion of God's people into various locations. Some of them are fearful, but the Spirit of God is still emboldening the people of God to go share the Word of God, and the movement of God is continuing to spread and to grow. And it says this in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Saul, if you don't know who Saul is, we've already met him a couple of times in the book of Acts. He's kind of like the villain in the book of Acts. He's the guy who, when Stephen, the first martyr, was murdered because they threw rocks at him until he died, they laid their, their coats at the feet of Saul is when we first meet him. That he's the one that's overseeing, orchestrating, and even delighting in the murder of Stephen. So this is the Saul. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of the way, that's what the church was called in the first century, they were known by the way that they lived their life. Not by the building they went to, not by the book they read, but by the way that, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ impacted their life. They said whether men or women, Saul had asked that he might bound them and bring them to Jerusalem, is what it says, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this is a bad dude, all right? He's got evil intentions, but not only does he have evil intentions, he's got authority now. He's got papers from the system to go do the bad things to the people of God. They just wanted to worship. They just wanted to have freedom of religion. Uh, but Saul, he was gonna put an end to it. it. Says this in verse three, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And I love this, then he fell to the ground. Saul and all of his vigor and all of his might, he's no match for God Almighty. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, here's a key question. Who are you, Lord? If you're taking notes in your Bible or circling in your Bible or underlining your Bible or highlighting on your device, just note that. Who are you, Lord? This is the most important question that we could ask today and perhaps the most important question that we could ever ask in our life. And the Lord said, I am Jesus. I love this. You know, he's not trying to be mysterious. 
He's not, you know, he's not replying, I'm a vibe, I'm kind of a being, I'm kind of like a, a thing. No, he says, I am Jesus. I'm the resurrected Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus shows himself, he's not trying to hide from you. He's trying to make himself very clear to you. Not some mythical being, I am Jesus. He says this, whom you are persecuting. Jesus takes all the pain in the church personal. He says this, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. More on that in a minute. And he goes on and says, this is Saul's reply. He says this, so he, this is Saul, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Another key question. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him, they stood speechless and they, they heard a voice, but they didn't see anyone. They're like, wow. What's going on, you know? And in verse 8, it says this, then Saul rose from the ground. I love the immediacy there. He just gets up, does what the Lord told him to do. And when his eyes were open, he saw no one because he was blinded. But it says this, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Saul, he's asking the question that we all need to ask in regard to Jesus. And point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this question down. This is a question that we're asking to God this morning. And here's the question. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Jesus, he's confronting Saul. And Saul asked the most important question that you can ask. Who are you, Lord? Many of you are maybe asking that question. Maybe you know some facts about Jesus. Others of you claim Jesus as your savior, but is he your Lord? Is he the boss of your life? Do you submit to the lordship of Jesus? When Jesus, when the Holy Spirit lays something on your heart, do you do what he asks you to do? Do you talk to your wife the way the Lord asks you to talk to her? Do you speak to your children the way the Lord asks you to speak to them? Do you interact with your coworkers and conduct your life in a way that the Lord asks you to do? Lord, I looked up a definition this week, and here's a simple definition. Most of you all know this, but just to bring us all on the same page. A Lord is one that has power and authority over others. It's one whom service and obedience are due. I think that we could come in here as, a, as, as Westerners and kind of have some sort of idea of who Jesus is, and a lot of us would say, yeah, well, Jesus, he's like a, a divine being. He's, he's like God, and I think a lot of us would agree and kind of nod, and others of us, we say, well, Jesus, he's my savior. It's personal, uh, but where I lose a lot of people is when I really ask this question, is Jesus your Lord? Does he functionally serve as your Lord? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? And listen, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's nothing at all. You can't have Jesus as God, you can't have Jesus as Savior, and not have Jesus as Lord. You can't divide his job description, you can't parse his personality up. Jesus is God, he's Savior, and he is Lord. And if Jesus is not your Lord, he may be your hero, he, he may be your inspiration, he may be a good example to you, but if he's not your Lord, then he's not your Savior. Jesus is the Lord. I saw he's having a hard time with this, you know. Jesus has come to him, and, and, and uh, I think um, oftentimes we'll read in Acts 9 about the salvation of, of Saul, and this is how Saul is, is becoming Paul. Maybe you've heard his other name that he goes by in the New Testament, and, and this is kind of where all of that stuff happened. A lot of times we'll read this and think, well, this is a Saul to Paul conversion, just like that. But upon further study, I would conclude that Saul didn't become converted to Christ in an instant. This is something that has been taking place in his life. And the reason why I conclude that is because Jesus offers an interesting statement to Saul. And it's this, it's here in verse five. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you'll like read something like, oh yeah, the goads, yeah, you shouldn't kick against those. 
I hurt your toes, you know? <laughs> and you're like, what is that? What does that mean? So Saul, he would have known what this meant. A goad is much like a sword and stick. It's much like a, a, a rattle paddle. It's much like a hot shot. A goad was something that, that ox people, I don't know if you call them oxmen, I'm not real sure, but cowboys would use to kind of guide their oxes and they would poke them if they were going in a direction or not going in a direction that they were supposed to. They would use the goad to guide them so that they could lead them in the places where they would fulfill the, the purpose of their life. And oftentimes the, the oxen, much like a cow, they would resist the goad. And so Jesus is using this imagery with Saul. Saul would have known exactly what he was saying. He says, it's hard if you keep kicking against the goads. These goads, they were used to guide oxen. But Jesus uses goads in our life to prod our hearts to guide us into submissiveness. And Jesus, he had been using some goads in Saul's life to prod him for quite some time. And the more that Saul spurned the leadership of Jesus, the more that Jesus dug in. Listen, Jesus' grace is relentless. He is coming after you, he is the Lord of the universe. And when you get into a battle with Jesus and you think that your will's gonna, gonna beat his, you are a fool to think that you can overcome the Lord of the universe. And so Saul, he's going against God's will and he's gonna do the thing that he thinks he's gonna do. And then Jesus meets him in this place and he intercepts Saul in the most forceful of fashions. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I wonder, do you kick against the goads of Jesus's leadership? I think there are five goads that we see here in Saul's life. I think that they could uh, be seen in our life as well. And the first goad that I want you to draw your mind to is the goad of God's word. Saul, he was a contemporary with Jesus, and so he no doubt would have at least heard about the teachings of Jesus. He maybe even been there when Jesus was, was teaching and preaching. Some things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Teachings like, I'm the resurrection and the life. Teachings like, you gotta eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're gonna be my follower. Teachings like, I'm the light of the world. And when Saul heard these teachings from Jesus, these were the goads of God's word that God, that God was trying to use to submit Saul into the lordship of Jesus Christ and, and, and allow Saul to follow Jesus. And Saul kept kicking against those goats. He's like, I'm not taking your word anymore. I, I don't like your word. I don't want your word. And so it spurned Saul and he rejected God's word. That was a goad that God used. And Saul, he kicked against it. Another goad that God uses is guilt over our sin. Guilt over our sin. We've already seen that Saul was there at the murder of Stephen. And it tells us when you look at the original language that Saul was he, was, he was watching with pleasure as they murdered Stephen. That it pleased Saul to see this man murdered. But here's what I know about sin, that on the back end of any pleasurable sin, there is guilt. And so there was some form of guilt in Saul's conscience. And, and listen, guilt is a gift from God. It's a goad to try to ping our conscience so that we'll submit to the Lordship of Christ. That may have been fun, that may, you, you may have gotten a thrill, you may have gotten a high out of that thing, but when there's guilt on the backside of it, that's God trying to say, that's not my best for you. That's a sin. And anything that we do to give us pleasure that is not in God's will, it's going to bring guilt, and guilt is a gift from God to prod us to say, don't do that anymore. But Saul, he was kicking against it. And many of us have come in here and when God has given us a guilty conscience, we try to suppress that and we go and smoke the thing again, we go and do the thing again, we go and watch the thing again, whatever it is, we go and do it again and we think that we can kick against the guilt that God has given us. And we're rejecting the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ. Another goad that God uses is the goad of a gnawing emptiness. 
Saul's giving his life and he is like the best in school and now he's the best in the business of squashing this movement and he's trying to, he's trying to do everything he can to find purpose but there's this gnawing emptiness that it's not enough for him. He writes about this in, in other places in the New Testament that we get that Saul was like, man, I consider all the world rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And so there was this sense of, of Saul reflecting back upon, or Paul reflecting back upon when he was Saul and he was chasing all of these things and there was an emptiness in his life. Many of you, you've come in here this morning and, and you're, chasing the, you're chasing your career or you're chasing your education or you're chasing a relationship and you're like, man, I'm gonna find fulfillment in that thing. And listen, the worst thing that God could give us is fulfillment in something other than a relationship with him. Because if God allowed us to be fulfilled in religion, then he would cease to be good and he would cease to be God. God is the only one that can satisfy the deepest craving inside of our life. There's a God-shaped hole inside of every heart that only God can fill. What it says in Ecclesiastes is that God set eternity in the hearts of man so that we would long for that. There's nothing under the sun that's gonna satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. And many of you have come in here and you have a gnawing emptiness. Like this is it, this is all there is. I thought when I got the Tesla and I got the house and I, and I got the Super Bowl tickets and, I, and when I thought when I got all the stuff, it would be amazing. And those things are good, but even in the end, there's a gnawing emptiness. And that gnawing emptiness is a goad from God that is saying, there's more. This world and its desires are passing away. But the one that does the will of the Lord will live forever. And there's a gnawing emptiness and God's trying to submit you in the, underneath his leadership. Another goad that Saul kicked against is the goad of thwarted plans. We see here, like he woke up that day and he's like, I'm going to Damascus to go do a thing. And he brings his guys with him and then there's a crisis that breaks out. You know, and there's, a, there's an interruption and a change of plans. And many of you, man, you set out 2023, this is my year, it's my breakout year. You know, I'm gonna go do these things, I'm gonna get this deal, I'm gonna buy this house, or I'm gonna marry this person, whatever, I don't know what it is, but then there's been a change of plans. And not every crisis comes from heaven, but some crises God will use to get our attention. And Saul, he had, a thwart, he had thwarted plans, he had a crisis. And in his crisis, when God interrupted his plans, he's starting to listen now. And the last goad that we see here that God used in Saul's life is a physical ailment. That Saul was literally blinded. This bright light comes, he falls on the ground, and then he, and then he, he kinda gets up and now he's blind. And again, not every physical problem that we have is from God, but sometimes God will use something like that to get our attention. What is the goad that God is trying to use in your life to get your attention? And what will God have to do in your life to get your attention? Listen, Jesus is relentless. Think about this. The Bible tells us that God did not spare his only son in order to get your salvation. He gave everything that he has. What makes you think he'll spare anything in your life to get your attention? If he gave everything so that there would be nothing in between you and him, he will stop at nothing to remove the thing that stands in between you and him. And this is his mercy. So God would rather see you in a hospital bed but in a right relationship with him than running free apart from him. I've just come to the point in my life where I'm grateful for the goad. 
And as I look back on my life, you know, there's been times where I've submitted to the, you know, I've submitted to the sort and stick of God. You know, he's come and said, oh, don't chat, chat, this way, this way. I'm like, yes, sir, you're right, you're right. There's been other times where I didn't work and he had to get the, the rattle out, you know. There's been times where I ran, ran away from the rattle of the paddle and it didn't, it wasn't enough. Now, I know for me, there's been times where I needed the hot shot and God to say, no, 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 go this way. And it's hurt. And I've been broken over some things in my life. But I'm so grateful that God did what it took and that he continues to do what it takes so that I can know him as Lord. I wanna know Jesus as Lord, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Now, I wasn't persecuting people, but I was chasing things that were trivial. I was living for myself, thinking that I, this career would give me the thing that I need, or thinking that this sport would give me the, the, the thing I need, thinking that these approval from these people would give me the thing I need. And listen, at the end of the day, all I need is a right relationship with Jesus, and I need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of those things will be added unto me that this is the thing that I need to be running after, that I had to learn the hard way, that the more I kicked against the goads, the more I kicked against the leadership of Jesus Christ, the worse I became. And listen, if we're gonna be spirit-led leaders, if we're gonna be all that Jesus wants us to be, then we need to learn that spirit-led leaders, they submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And with every fiber of my being and every authority that God has given me, I just wanna urge you to stop kicking against the goads. Stop running from the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's guiding every one of you. I'm convinced that he's speaking to every one of you. But for some of you, he's speaking to you very specifically this morning. That some of you, you need to have an encounter with the living God this morning that you're on your own road to Damascus, destined for destruction, doing the things that break the heart of God. And he has not come to condemn you, but he's come to save you. And if he would come and intercept the life of this terrorist, he will come and intercept your life too. And this morning, some of you are gonna make a decision that's gonna change the rest of your life. This could, be the, this could be the first day of the rest of your life. This could be a new day. This could be a fresh start, but it comes in the form of surrender. For some of you, this is the day that you get clarity of who Jesus is personally. And that's what's happening with Saul. He's getting clarity with Jesus personally. Do you have that? Do you know Jesus is Lord? I love Saul's response. This revelation with Saul, it left him, it says in verse six, that he was, he was trembling and astonished. Uh, this, these words only used four times in the New Testament. They're only used once here in the book of Acts. And, and this is the moment where Saul surrendered. You know, I would think if I was Saul and I was, I was persecuting Jesus and then I hear Jesus and he's taking it personally, I'm thinking, oh man, he's about to throw the, the book at me metaphorically. He's about to mess me up. He's about to judge me. But Saul, he meets Jesus just like Jesus wants to meet you, man. He meets Jesus with grace and with mercy, recognizing that you have sinned against Jesus, but in the same breath, extending grace and forgiveness and mercy. And it left Saul, it says he was astounded and trembling. He's, he's undone, he's overwhelmed. Have you had a moment like that? Have you experienced the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that it incited trembling and astonishment 
in your heart. That's what's going on with Saul. He's surrendering to Jesus. Some of you need to do that today. Others of you would say, yes, I've had that moment. Man, I, I remember it was 1997, it was 1972, it was 2004, it was 2011. I, you've had that moment where you met Jesus and, and you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus and he moved in and he saved you and he changed you and you know him as Lord and the natural question to ask is once you know the Lord, the natural question to ask is what do you want me to do? This is the question that Saul asked in verse six, Lord, what do you want me to do? We also see this play out with another man in Acts chapter nine, a man named Ananias. Jesus comes to him immediately after all of this with, with Saul, and he comes to him in a dream, and he says this. Um, he, says, he says, Ananias, Ananias, and Ananias says, well, here am I. He says, I need you to do something. He's like, yeah, man, what, what do you need me to do? He's like, I need you to talk with Saul. He's like, come again. <laughs> you know, imagine, imagine, you, imagine yourself in the story. You, oh, wait, you want me to talk with Saul? And he even clarifies the one that's like persecuting our people that like, you know, Steve and all stuff, and, and like he clarifies, he's honest with God. He's like, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. And then Jesus just says, yeah, I need you to do this. And so Ananias, one who understands the lordship of Christ, he trusts God. And here's what it says in verse 17. It says, and Ananias, he went his way and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, Saul, he said, brother Saul, think about that, brother. What happened in Ananias' heart that he could look at a terrorist and say, brother Saul? Here's a man that understands the forgiveness and the grace of God. This is a man that understands that God's grace isn't a trickle that can only forgive the good. This is a man that understands that God's grace is an ocean and it can be a deluge upon the most demonic and oppressed and, and hateful person and give them a new heart. He says, brother Saul, such, such small words, such profound implications. It's crazy. <laughs> he says, brother Saul. And he says, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a spirit-led leader that's submitting to the Lordship of Christ and he's leading Saul so that Saul would know that he can have the Spirit of God too. And it says, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. I love that. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some, spent some days he spent some days, rather, with the disciples at Damascus. See, once you determine that Jesus is Lord, the next question asked is, what do you want me to do? This is, again, this is the question that Saul asked in verse six. This is what Ananias, this is what it's, you know, we can insinuate that he's asking, here I am, what do, you need, what do you need from me? And this is the question that I want you to ask God this morning. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. What do you want me to do? Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And once you know Jesus is Lord, this is what Jesus wants you to do. You can look at me right now. Let me make it real clear. He wants you to obey. Obedience is God's love language. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. The way that you know you're surrendered to the Lordship of Christ is that you obey God. Obedience. That's what Ananias is doing right here. It's not easy, but he's given us a little bit of a lesson of what it looks like to obey God. If you're gonna obey God, then it's gonna require a few things. The first thing it's gonna require is uh, it's gonna require availability. <laughs> Jesus comes to Ananias and, and he's available. He says, here am I. I think some of us, we can't obey God because we're so busy. Like when did busy become so cool? Like what y'all do this weekend? Well, I was busy, well, busy, busy, you know, like a badge of busy honor, you know what I'm saying? Like how's the year been, 2023 been busy. 
you know? And you get around that guy at the office, you're like, I'm not that busy. I guess I'm not that important. I'm not that cool, you know? And we kind of feel that, but listen, busy's not always cool, you know what I'm saying? And oftentimes we'll, 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 you know, we'll talk about how busy we are. And I've heard it said this way, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy, you know? And we get so busy all the time that when God wants to lead us to do something, we don't have time to obey you, God. God, I know you got the whole universe. I know that you're like saving people, but I got like soccer and dance and the kids and dinner and I'm just so busy, you know? And oftentimes we're so busy that we can't be available. Don't you know that ministry is defined by interruptions? How many times you read about the life of Jesus and it was while he was headed this way, this happened. If you're gonna be obedient, it's gonna require availability. Here am I, I I got a willing heart. The second thing it's gonna require is honesty. Verses 13 through 14, this is where Ananias, he, he kind of objects to the thing that Jesus is asking him to do. I don't know if you've followed Jesus for very long, but there's gonna be a time if you follow Jesus where he's gonna ask you to do something, you're like, I don't like that, <laughs> I don't wanna do that, nope. And listen, the more that you flex the muscle of faith and trust, it seems like the more Jesus asks you to flex that muscle. I don't think it ever becomes easy to be obedient. And so there are times where Jesus will ask you to do something, you're like, did I hear you right? And maybe you need to clarify. And that's kind of what Ananias is doing right here. I was at a dinner last night with some church members and some of our young adults are about to go on the mission field this week. And I was just there and they're living with their parents, you know, and these are young adults and you know, they, they're fairly newlyweds, they don't have any grandkids yet, and I just, I just think about mom and dad. And you know, when, you're, when your adult kids come and say, God's told me to go to a really hard place to do a hard thing, I just think mom and dad, I think they go to God and they say, God, could you send someone else's kids? Or, or could, you, could you just hold off until we have grandbabies? but you just sense the wrestling that mom and dad have to relinquish their children, to go do the thing that they longed that they would do, and that's to follow Jesus wherever he would call them. And it's okay to be honest. It's okay to share that. This is what obedience requires. It's not blind submission. It's you wrestling. It requires availability. It requires honesty, but also at the end, it just simply requires submissiveness. We see Ananias brings his objection to God. Jesus hears the objection, but he still says, I, I, I was very clear with what I needed you to do. And Ananias, he simply just says, okay, I trust that you are God, I am not. I trust that your ways are good, and, and I don't know all of your ways, and so I'm gonna do the thing that you're asking me to do. And he did the thing that Jesus commanded him to do. Do you obey Jesus like that? Do you obey the Lord Jesus in a way that you're available, you're honest, but in the end, you're, submiss you're submissive and you're trusting. Again, obedience is God's love language. First John 5, 3 says, this is love for God, that you obey him and that his burdens are not, or that his commands are not burdensome to you. Where do you need to obey God? Some of you need to obey Jesus and submit to the Lordship of Christ in the way that you're speaking to your wife. Is that how Jesus would speak to his wife? Some of you, you need to obey the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the way that you're being involved with your children. The Word of God calls us to train our children. Are you training your child? Some of you, you need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the way that you serve your neighbor. 
the way that you are looking at this thing that you're indulging in. Some of you need to submit to the Lordship of Christ in the way that you stop a sin. Others of you, you need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the way you start a devotion. What is the area of your life that you need to obey Christ in clearly? Listen, if you claim to love God, but you don't obey God, you don't love God. You've invented a form of love that is contrary to the Bible. That Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Love of God equals obedience to God. And if you wanna be a spirit-led leader and you wanna submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the way that plays itself out functionally is that you obey God. And Saul, he's, he's what he's doing. Like he wants to be a spirit-led leader. He, he says, who are you, Lord, and now what do you need me to do? Ananias, he's the same way. I wanna be, be a spirit-led leader. I wanna submit to the lordship of Christ. And both of these guys, they're obeying the lordship of Christ because spirit-led leaders, they submit to the lordship of Christ. And so what it tells us there at the tail end of chapter nine in verse 20, it says this. It says this about Saul. He's been healed by Ananias, and, or by God through Ananias, rather. And it says this in verse 20, I love this. It says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. This is Saul. That he is the son of God. I just love the honesty of the Bible. Then all who heard were amazed. And they said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And he has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? They're confused. What's happened in this guy's life? But Saul, he increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul's life was changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. This terrorist has become an evangelist because he asked the question, who are you, Lord? And he surrendered his life to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus saved his life. And then Saul said, what do you want me to do? And he says, I need you to go and preach the word to the people. And the natural question is, okay, if you're the Lord and this is what you want me to do, when do you want me to do it? Point number three, and finally, if you're asking these questions or write down notes, I just want you to write down this question. It's between, between you and God. God, when do you want me to do it? And listen, when God tells you to do something, typically, he wants you to do it now. We see here the, the word that's used in verse 20. I love it. Immediately. Immediately. It says, immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues. Don't let your obedience expire. Every inspiration has an expiration. That's why the word of God prompts us to not harden our hearts when we hear the word of the Lord. When the sword and stick of God's spirit is tapping on us and saying, go this way, or the rattle of the paddle is, is, is wooing us, go that way, or the hot shot of the spirit of God is electrocuting us and say, go that way. Listen to God. Do what he has to say. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And when do you want me to do it? Uh, the Spirit of God, he had miraculously healed Saul. Saul, he was, he was born spiritually blind, but then Jesus literally blinded him. And then he was healed from his blindness so that he could see clearly the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Makes me think of a story I heard recently. We have a gentleman on our staff that works with our Abundant Life Kids ministry, and his name is Cody Gleason. Here's Cody and his family, and you'll see Cody and his family and their two little girls, and Cody was telling me about his sweet little baby Harlow right here. 
In Harlow, she was born, unfortunately, with an eye issue. She had a, a development issue in the womb that came out um, a, a few months in her life, and they started noticing that one of her eyes wasn't quite right, and then they go to see an ophthalmologist, and the ophthalmologist says, well, there's a cataract that we need to, re- we need to remove or fix. I don't know how that works, but we need to do surgery. And so you imagine mom and dad like, oh, our baby, there's something wrong with her eye of all things. And so they go into the, the doctor and they have to put their baby under anesthesia, which is always so nerve wracking with a baby. And the doctor goes in and works on the cataract and gets all that fixed and baby comes out of surgery and they're thinking, all right, baby's good, but things got worse. Her eye begins to swell shut, begins to tear a lot, turns red, sweet, sweet little Harlow, sweet little baby. They have to go back into the doctor and the doctor says, I've got worse news. Your baby has glaucoma. And so they just start thinking, okay, uh, in the fog of bad news, you know, what, what, what does this mean? This means up to eight more surgeries. If your baby's gonna see, we're gonna have to do some, some things. And so immediately Cody, he, you know, he's a, he's a man of God. <laughs> we believe that God can heal. And we ask God that you would do, the, you would do you know, what only you can do. And so he calls his friends and he calls his, some of his community and he says, hey, here's the deal. Would y'all begin to pray? And, and so his people begin to pray, family and friends, and, and they schedule the next surgery for glaucoma. And, and about two days before the surgery, her, she wakes up and her, her eye is not swollen anymore. And it's not tearing anymore. And Cody thinks, there's been a miracle. My baby's healed. And they call the surgeon and say, here's what's going on. The surgeon says, well, maybe just some of the pressure's been relieved, but, but you still need to come in for surgery because you don't just lose glau- glaucoma. You don't just get rid of glaucoma. So they're trusting the medical professionals, and so they go in and put the baby under anesthesia again for about an hour-long surgery, and about 10 minutes into the surgery, they get called into the consultation room. You imagine? You know, you're thinking the worst, right? 10 minutes, the surgery's supposed to last at least 60. What are we doing in here? Doctor walks in and says, I have great news. Your baby doesn't have glaucoma. Yeah, praise God. The doctor looks at him and says, I can't explain this, but there's nothing wrong with your baby's eye. And Cody, he, he knows how to explain it. It gets better. <laughs> they go home and they're celebrating, man, our baby's healed. And then they go back in for a, another doctor's appointment and a few weeks later, and, and, and the doctor says, well, not only is your baby's eye healed from glaucoma, but it's regaining its sight. And it looks like that she's gonna have as good a vision as she could have ever had that God took this baby that was born with an eyesight issue, a baby that was born blind in one eye, and God did something miraculous that, 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 that only he could do. We were thinking surgeries, and we were thinking swelling, and we were thinking tearing, we were thinking all of these things, and we were thinking that the surgery was gonna be the thing that was gonna help mediate and manage the problem, but God stepped in and did something miraculous, and he healed this little baby's eyes. And the reason why I share that with you is because that's a picture of what happened in Saul's life And that's a picture of the Bible teaches about all of our lives. The Bible teaches that we were born spiritually blind. And there was no amount of religious surgeries, no amount of of moral surgeries that we could do to, to fix our spiritual blindness. That the Bible teaches that Jesus had to step in and do something miraculous to raise our dead hearts or to fix our blind hearts. And what he did was he lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the grave and he's been revealing himself clearly as the Lord of all. 
so that when you respond properly, your blind heart can be given sight. And my question is, have you done that? Has there been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord? And if not, all you're doing is managing your spiritual blindness. You need God to do a miracle in your life, the miracle of salvation. That's what Saul needed, and that's what we all need. Some of y'all think, well, Chad, I'm too blind. I'm, I'm too bad. Listen, your sin, it may be bad, but more than likely it pales in comparison to Saul of Tarsus. And God's grace is available to you. The same grace that changed this terrorist and made him evangelist, it is available to you. Would you respond to it today? What's it gonna take for you to submit to the Lordship of Christ? What's he gonna have to do to goad you into the place where you can receive the things you need to live a fulfilling life? My prayer is that you would choose to submit today. We're about to sing a song called I'll Follow. It's a simple refrain. We've already sang it this morning. But at every campus, we're going to sing this song. And, and it's just a declaration, God, I want to follow you. I want to, uh, the sword and stick of your spirit, the rattle and the paddle, or the hot shot, whatever it takes, I want to follow you. And we're going to stand in just a second after I pray, and we're going to sing that song. And then I'm going to come up after that song and give you an opportunity to respond this morning. And so let me pray for us and then we'll sing and we'll give, a, give you a chance to respond. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for this man, Saul, whose life was changed, who had the letters of hate to persecute your people, but his life was so greatly changed that he would go on to write the letters to your church to prop up your people. Who are you, God, that you change terrorists to become evangelists? Who are you, God, that you change people like me to become your, ch your, your son, your child? Who are you, God, that you would not dismiss my sin but place it upon your son? God, I'll just stand astounded and a little terrified. Got to pray if there's one here that has not surrendered their life to you. Today would be the day, God, that they would cry out to you. That you would so move into their life that you would heal them. God, we thank you for this sweet Harlow and how you healed her from her blindness. But we pray that that would be just a simple signpost that points to a deeper blindness that you want to heal all of us from. God, for the one that's here that knows you but is struggling with a call to ministry, a call to follow you in a new way, a call to the mission field, a call to, to reconcile with a coworker or a family member, God, I pray that you'd give them the courage 
to submit to your lordship. God, wherever you lead us, give us the courage to follow. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? When do you want me to do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.